Just a note before we get into the show, Thirsty is a podcast designed to make us think bigger and bring people's stories into the light. It should not be considered medical or psychological advice. Please reach out to your personal medical or psychological professional for any questions you may have about today's subject matter. Now, with that being said, let's start today's episode. Welcome back to Thirsty the Podcast. I'm Laura Koo. And I'm Heather McGee. Today we're asking, is codependency ruining my relationship with a love fix? As a reminder, share um, Thirsty with your community, anybody who you feel like would be interested in the content, and rate, review, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. We are so glad to have you here. This season, we're taking a deeper look at issues you may or may not have considered before, and we're challenging what we think we know in a season-long theme we're calling Fresh Eyes. Today, we're asking, is codependency ruining my relationship? With our guests, Sherry and Carla from The Love Fix. Carla Romo is a certified dating and relationship coach, and Sherry Gaba, a licensed social worker and coach, say love doesn't have to suck. They co-host a podcast called The Love Fix, which teaches listeners tools on how to navigate dating and thrive in a successful relationship. Ladies, we're so pleased to have you here with us today. Yay! Yay. Very excited (laughs) to be there. Yay! (laughs) We're having a lady party today. Yeah, well, you guys talk our language. So we're going to jump right in, and we're going to ask you both um, what codependency looks like. How do you know if you're in a codependent relationship? Ah, Sherry. Okay, okay. she's pointing pointing to me. She's like, Carla? You know, (laughs) we could could do a a mixture. You go first, and I'll I'll, I'll finish us. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm going to define love addiction, which overlaps codependency. And I think it's important because a lot of people don't even know what that is. And they really don't like the word addiction. So love addiction is a process addiction. And for that matter, so is codependency. Instead of being addicted to a drug, you're addicted to a person or relationship. And your whole identity is based on being with somebody. You feel very empty. You feel like you have no purpose. Your value, who you are, your worthiness is all based on this other person. Uh, I started this journey. I was married to an alcoholic. He became my project. Uh, I was focused on him. I would say codependently, and I was addicted to him and addicted to fixing him. So I often we often use the word it overlaps, but it's really needing someone to feel whole. Uh, Often you have an anxious attachment style. So you are very anxious if you're not in a relationship or if they're not calling you or you feel like they're abandoning you or rejecting you. And we just really give up ourselves. We lose ourselves out of the fear of being alone. So I always say you can be a codependent, not be a love addict because you're basically addicted to fixing others. Um, You can be a codependent in work. You can be a codependent with friendships. But I always believe a love addict is always a codependent. So speaking of the codependent side of things, uh, you know, the way I like to describe codependency is you lose a sense of self to another person, place or thing. And it's usually rooted in low self-esteem. So if you were born in family dysfunction, maybe your parent was an addict or had some kind of, um, you know, mental health issues, you were, you know, abandoned or neglected in some kind of way, then you probably grew up in a codependent environment where you're trying to fix, help people, please, because that's a survival technique and skill. You learn to manipulate really well as a codependent, which people always are like, 
oh my God, I'm not a manipulator. And I'm like, no, you're not a narcissist, but codependents are really great manipulators. People pleasing is manipulation. You're trying to control somebody else's emotions, thoughts, feelings about you or situation so that you're okay. So codependency really comes always back to that idea of, I need you to be okay so that I'm okay. And I'm going to do whatever I can on that other side to make sure you're okay so that then I'm fine. So I've been in many codependent relationships over the course of my life. And I remember one time I had a session with my therapist and she was like, do you realize how manipulative you are? And my brain exploded and she like laid it out for me. I was like, no, no, no. I just want them to do the right thing. And she's like, that's <laughs> manipulation. And my like, I couldn't even handle it. And that was like a hard day for me. I had to take the rest of the day off work yes. and just like sit there in my feelings and think about that. <laughs> And remember, it's just a need for safety and security, because like Carla said, if you didn't get that growing up, if you were abandoned, neglected, abused, you came from a divorced family, your parents didn't have time physically or emotionally for you, you're searching for that. You're searching to fill that hole that you never had early on. So there's no shame or blame if you, quote, manipulate, because this is what you learn to survive. That manipulation probably worked as a child. You know, just like when I've worked with alcoholics, I say, well, I guess the alcohol worked until it stopped working and the manipulation of codependency works until it stops working. So um, you're always going to hear me saying no shame or blame. There are reasons that we have this history and there are reasons that why we have the behavioral patterns that we have. I think that's a good reminder for us as parents to think about the relationships that we model and how we interact with our children because we are forming that core for them of how they deal with attachment and relationships, how they see us interacting. Um, you know, they're they're little sponges, so they they see everything and we don't always think through the impact of certain actions. You know, it's funny because I was just thinking about my childhood and and my, I, you know, my father was abusive and left when I was very young and my parents got divorced when I was really little. And my mom went to my pediatrician and was like, I don't know what to do. I'm the single parent. Like, and she was full time, you know, full custody of my sisters and I, and the pediatrician said, your kids are going to do as well as you do. Mm. And my mom really led the work around, uh, you know, getting help and things like that. Um, that then, you know, set the stage for my sisters and I to be able to ask for help and do that. So I just think, you know, it still was a codependent environment that I grew up in, but, but you can break the family cycle. You can break the, the trauma and the patterns. And I do have two points around that. The fact that your mother was asking is the first step because I did the same thing. I'm like, am I a good mother? Because I was a single mother. And she said, the fact that you're asking, the fact that you have this awareness is the first step. And then the other thing I wanted to say, I had one child, I don't know how many children you have, Heather and Laura, but I had one. And one of the things you have to be really careful, I think, even if you have more than one, is that parentified relationship where you kind of have these children become little adults way before their time. And I'm, I think I was certainly guilty of it. I would, you know, you have no one else to talk to. My ex was 3000 miles away. You feel alone. I, I'm not excusing it, but it did happen where you start talking to your kids about things that are like, no, they don't have the capacity to talk about these things. They don't really want to hear about your dating. They don't really want to hear about you having a you know a horrible day. I mean, there's some things that you can be real with, but you got to be really careful that you don't want to treat them like little adults. Now I have a, a little bit of a list here and these are characteristics of codependency. I'm going to read a few of these and I want to see if anyone here recognizes themselves or if you have thoughts you would like to share. The first one, and these are all symptoms of codependency. So we can kind of think about our relationships in a deeper way. 
first. A, there is a tendency in a codependent to confuse love and pity with a tendency to love, and I say love with air quotes, love people that actually they pity and want to rescue. Does anyone have thoughts about that? So many thoughts. Yes. Yeah. I mean, hello. <laughs> Some of the motivation of just staying in past relationships were because I wanted to fix and, and help the person because then that would give me satisfaction that I was worthy and I was lovable. And sure, there were certain people from my past that I loved, but the motive behind me wanting them to get help that I had to get real with before I broke free from my codependency was, yeah, I was trying to, you know, fix these people so that I had the validation. So I had self-esteem. And, and to not be alone. Like that there's yes. that relation again, like you hold these people hostage because, well, if, and first of all, if they get better, uh-oh, then they may, they may not want me anymore. So it's very confusing really. Um, but being with an alcoholic, yes, I tended to think that I was this angel from heaven and I was going to fix him and make him all well. And, and you literally get a high. Like I remember he would call and he'd be like in his car and he had these bottles of vodka everywhere. And he'd be like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I would be like, Oh, I'm going to drive over there and I'm going to save him. Or, or one time I literally drove on Ventura Boulevard. I live in you know the Valley here in San Fernando Valley. And he's got the bag of vodka and I'm driving and I'm following him and I'm going to pick him up and I'm going to get him over to rehab. And it's literally this like, the same, the, really, it's the same high that an addict or alcoholic has over their drug or alcohol. It's just, it's over a person. Yeah, this was a another bad day in therapy <laughs> when I realized that those behaviors, I realized that I was picking people that I needed to fix and pity because when you are in that situation where someone, the other person is clearly the broken bird, you don't have to deal with your own stuff. You don't have to oh, confront no. your issues. You're safe and you get to keep yeah. being a mess because you're, you were so uh, out of proportion to the other person. You can hide within that. And kind of the worst thing that could happen is the other person fixes themselves. And then you're like, well, shit, now I've got to work on myself. (laughs) Yeah. What is my job now? You know, where am I in the world now that they're healthy? That's so true. Now, a second one is a tendency to become hurt when people don't recognize your efforts. (laughs) Expectations are resentments waiting to happen. That is literally summing that up right there. Right. Yeah. If you're, you know, they have a saying in the 12 step program of Al-Anon for fun and for free. So if you're doing something for somebody, it's for fun and for free. It's not to get something in return. But if you're a codependent, you're always doing something to get something in return because that's where the manipulation is. And again, but let's go back again to what's underneath all that. It's, I want to hold on to you. I don't want to lose you. I don't want to be alone. I was abandoned as a child. I was neglected. I'm so, I'm so scared. I need you to feel whole. So these are the reasons we do these things. Now we did do a call for listener questions for this episode. And I do have to share a funny one that we received from Francis. Francis says, does codependency mess with eyesight? My husband can't seem to see anything in the fridge and I always need to help. It's the funniest question. (laughs) We did get a serious one about it though. I do have a serious one. So many women specifically talk about taking care of their partner in long-term relationships to the point that it feels codependent. Are long-term relationships more prone to turn into codependency? No, I don't think so. Um, interdependence is actually really healthy for long-term relationships. The codependence is what's unhealthy. I've had somebody once say to me, um, well, you know, a little codependence is healthy in a relationship, right? I said, no, that's interdependence. Codependency of any spectrum is unhealthy for a relationship because you lose your sense of self 
and there's no autonomy when you're looking at it from a lens of codependency. So, um, you know, most uh, not up to 90% of us are codependent, right? It's a spectrum. So if you find that you're getting into that codependency, you know, you, you can get tools and have tools to pull yourself out of it. But I would say that um, a relationship that is not built on the foundation of codependency would not be a codependent relationship unless, and we know this, that with addiction, it's a progressive illness. And so it could have started as a really healthy relationship. And then over time, you start to see red flags because that person's drinking is starting to become progressive and they're starting to drink or use or hide things from you. And then secrets start happening. And then that can become codependency. Yeah. Carla, you're in my head because that was what I was going to add. Like I have a client now I'm working with great relationship, healthy marriage, many years, 40 years. And then he started drinking and then he started getting into drugs and now she's you know completely enabling and manipulating and trying to get him well and it's now this diseased relationship of codependency now what is the difference between interdependent can you be real crystal on the difference between interdependence and codependency what's the core difference there i would say interdependence is a sense of self a wholeness you know, you, you have your own likes, you have your own dislikes, you have your own preferences, you know, you know, like you're here and they're there, you have your path, they have their path. And then sometimes you come together, you're two whole people coming together. Now, how do you think about, I know there are couples who, for example, are just together all the time. Like they don't travel separately. They're always together. I know certain people who are like, I've never been away from my partner for longer than a day. And we've been together for 10 years. Like there's just that, or they share a Facebook page and they're just so intertwined. Is that healthy? Is that okay? Is there a point where it becomes not the healthiest situation or is it to each their own? I, I would say 100% it comes down to what are the motives for having the same Facebook page? What are the motives for not for seeing each other, you know, making an effort to see each other every single day and only being apart for one day? Uh, if the motives are from a place of, you know, not trusting or control. control. Hey, Sherry, you're in my mind. <laughs> I know. I love it. Um, you know, then yes. But if the motives are genuine of like, you just want to have a Facebook page because you guys want to do that together and that's your vibe, then I don't, that's not codependency to me. I'm kind of laughing because I met somebody a while ago on a date and I want to do everything with that. This is what he was saying. I want to do everything with that person. I, they're, they're my best friend. I just want to be with them all the time. I don't understand, you know, these women that just go out with their girlfriends and they don't include their husbands. And I'm like, red flag, this person <laughs> will be the most suffocating person in the world. I don't want this person. And and I was correct. He was, he was a no. I say for a lot of people, depending on where they're at, that can be very enticing. They want to be around me all the time. And I feel like it can be a really easy, slippery slope into that. Like you said, that control factor, but initially it's like, it's so great. They're so into me and they want to spend this time with me. And then if you miss those signs that maybe it's not for the best, best intention, um, you can get yourself into potentially a not great relationship. I mean, generally, if you want to get into toxic relationships, someone that wants something so fast like that is usually a red flag. You know, they're kind of love bombing you. And what's interesting is codependents and love addicts are real prone to being love bombed because they do love that attention and that validation because that's what gives them that whole sense of self, you know. Um, so you're right. Um, if somebody sort of has an unhealthy self-esteem, they, well, they'll be taken in by that. If you're healthier, and I believe at this point in my early 60s, I'm finally 
healthy, I could see, oh, this is a red flag. I didn't always see that when I was younger. It was like, oh, he really likes me. He wants to spend lots of time with me. This is awesome. But today that wouldn't work for me. I'm on the other side of the spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) So when we think about the root uh, behind codependency, obviously, like we've talked a lot about how it often comes from your childhood, from how relationships were modeled for you at an early age, you develop those patterns. But can this be something that happens later in life? Can a toxic, not great relationship teach you some bad relationship patterns at that point? And maybe you follow those after that relationship or, you know, what do, what do y'all think? You don't have to have codependency in just your childhood. Like you could be in, yeah, you could be in like an unhealthy relationship and you could date somebody who's an addict and didn't grow up with addict parents. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you find yourself obsessive and trying to get this person sober. And now you're in a full-blown codependent relationship. So, you know, yes, that's possible. But I will say that for people who didn't grow up with addiction or didn't grow up with some kind of family dysfunction, they'll probably, a lot of times, and this isn't not everybody, okay? But a lot of times they'll move out of that much quicker than somebody who is where that's familiar. And so what they're doing is they're trying to recreate and save their childhood with this dysfunctional relationship as an adult. But to add to that, a caveat to that is that if you end up with a narcissist, then sometimes a trauma bond forms. So you could be the healthiest person, the most successful women, and actually narcissists tend to go for the most uh, successful women because you are a representation of what they are. So um, then suddenly a trauma bond is formed and then you become addicted to that trauma bond. You know, the trauma bond is the up and down, up and down, and you're waiting for them to treat you really well again, to love bomb you again, to make, you know, throw you a bone and that becomes an addiction. So you could be this healthy person and then suddenly now you're in this trauma bond. Now we've read that people who tend to be codependent have low self-esteem quite often. What do you think about that? Is there a connection? Well, Carla's the self-esteem guru. She is the (laughs) self-esteem guru. I'm the trauma guru. So under low self-esteem is trauma generally something that's happened to you. And now you, you don't have a sense of self. I mean, if someone doesn't bond with you or nurture you or give you what you need early on, you don't know who you are. So there's going to be no sense of self, thus no self-esteem. Here's the thing. There's so many high functioning codependents out there. So you wouldn't think, oh, this person is, you know, feels worthless underneath all of it. They're really successful. They've got friends. They seem to have it all together, right? Like that's the the crazy thinking around the codependency is the perfection, the looking great on the outside. And I can say that from my own personal experience around codependency and then obviously coaching other other people around it. But it's it's all rooted in the I'm not worthy, I'm not enough, I'm not lovable, I'm not special. You know, you could go on and on and on with the I'm nots. Um, but if you were not in a if you didn't have codependency that was rooted in self-esteem, there would be no reason for you to be in relationships with people or things to prove your self-worth or to prove that you're lovable or that you're enough to fix or save this person, because that would be boring. That would literally give you nothing. It would not fill your cup. It wouldn't give you any purpose in life. So the self-esteem piece has to really be there. And it's funny too, because a lot of people who are codependent at first are so in their cycle of codependency that they might not even recognize that they have low self-esteem. I certainly didn't personally. I thought, well, I'll have it together. I'm good. But the motives were out of needing to be validated. And that's what that's where that self-esteem piece really is deep seated. And and if you keep attracting these kind of unhealthy patterns, that's when you really want to work with a great trauma therapist and not just a therapist, but someone that will go and deep 
you know, we'll do a diver, a, a diver, a deeper a dive, di- <laughs> a diver, <laughs> a, a deeper dive into what is going on, what is happening here and actually help you re- remove the energy that's blocked inside of you from the past. Cause that's what trauma is something that you've been in some sort of fight, flight, freeze, fawn situation growing up. And now we got to move that out of your body so that you can be present with yourself and be aware of who you're picking. But without that presence or that awareness or that knowing, um, you're kind of in denial about who you're picking. You know, you're like, I, I, I see it, but I really don't see it. Or I know something's wrong, but I don't really know what it is. And that's where the trauma therapy can be so invaluable. Helpful. All right. We do have another listener question. We have a question from Jenny and she wants to know, divorced or single parents are used to doing so much for their kids, especially navigating the fallout from divorce. How do we adjust and transition from parenting, which can carry a lot of codependent characteristics into dating and romantic relationships? Boundaries, learning how to have boundaries, boundaries with your kids, boundaries with your friendships, boundaries with your dating relationships. You know, where do you start and where do I start? What, you know, where's your path? Where's my path? Um, Yeah, I I can see that. And like I was saying, I think earlier um, on another podcast that we tend to either date like crazy obsessively or we don't date at all and we make our kids our whole lives so it's always about going back to balance and boundaries what are some things that we can do to catch ourselves when we are being codependent ah so i'm really big on getting a life and that's the way i like to say it i I put that (laughs) in my book contagious love which is all about codependency and breaking free from codependency and uh, it's about getting a life. Like, like you're so focused on somebody else that you're not focused on yourself. It's taking the finger and pointing it back to you. So there's something emotional going on usually. Um, and then as a result, like, what is it? Like, are you having certain fears? Do you feel insecure about things? Are you feeling anxious about something? And that's kind of your default to go into the codependency. And then how are you building your life? Like, what do you want to go do? Go for a walk. Have you taken any time for yourself? Um, are you connecting with people? Are you isolating, right? Codependency can feel very lonely, which is why you need that other person in a relationship. Um, so it's really about how do we get back to ourselves, autonomy, um, looking at, you know, ways to connect with other people, practicing self-love, self-care, just kind of asking yourself some of those questions. What am I doing for myself? How am I showing up for me today? I think one good tell too, is if you are going on a hundred million dates and, and I'm pointing the finger back at myself and Laura, I think you would too. There are a lot of people go through times where you're going on a hundred million dates. And if you're spending all your free time, just going on date after date after date, and you're not going out with friends, you're not going out and doing things for yourself. You're not seeing family. You're not doing other things. You might be codependent, you know, because you're really looking for that attention and validation outside of yourself instead of investing in other things that are perhaps healthier. Or you may be a love addict where you literally are nothing, you feel like nothing unless you're with a really in a relationship yeah, or dating or somebody's, you know, going to be your boyfriend or, you know, girlfriend. That's your whole being is that. So as we are wrapping up today, if there is one piece of advice you want to leave listeners with today, what would that be? This might be cliche and overset a lot, but uh, the most important relationship you're ever going to have is the relationship with yourself. And so invest in you because you've got that relationship, even in relationships with others, you still have that relationship with yourself. And if you're not investing in that relationship, you cannot fully bring it to your other relationships. And I would say just to try to let go of the shame and blame, be easy on yourself, that there are things that we do in life that are less than perfect. Nobody's perfect. 
We have patterns that we learn growing up. And so be good to yourself. Give yourself a break. Well, we want to thank Sherry and Carla. Thank you all so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation. We want to ask everyone, make sure to check out their show, The Love Fix, wherever you get your podcasts. Is there anywhere, anything else you want to share with the audience in terms of where they can find you? Yeah, you can go to thelovefix.com. We've got um, coaching programs on there if you want to work with us. And we also have a free quiz that comes with a workbook, which is Are My Relationships Healthy? Uh, <laughs> and it breaks it down for you and how to be in healthy relationships. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll also include this in the show notes. So you don't have to write this down. You can just go to the show notes and see all these things as well. And I think that's it for Thirsty this week. Join us next week as we talk about tools and tips to become a better communicator. You might think you're good at communicating, but we're going to take another look at that. Make sure to share, rate, and review Thirsty. It's a great free way to support the show. And we appreciate that. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you right back here next week. Thank you. Still thirsty? You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Thirsty the Podcast. Share this show with your community. Rate, review, and follow us wherever you get your podcasts.